Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Megan. And I'm Diane. We are suburban moms trying to make room in our lives for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. We hope you'll join us on the journey to think more and do with less. Today, we welcome a special guest, Joshua Becker. Joshua is the founder and editor of Becoming Minimalist, a website dedicated to inspiring others to find more life by owning less. He is the best-selling author of The More of Less, the founder of two magazines, Simplify and Simply Money magazine, creator of an e-course called Uncluttered, and he also, if that's not enough, started (laughs) the nonprofit The Hope Effect, which focuses on family-based solutions for orphans. We'll be talking with him today about his new book, which releases on December 18th, The Minimalist Home. And we think this is just the perfect tie a bow on the end of our A Minimalist Home series. We didn't even know his book was coming out, Mm -hmm. and it was titled the same thing. So it is just perfection all the way around. All right. Well, before we get into our resource and moment of the week, we want to share a review. This says a surprising seasonal depression cure. So this is my first time giving podcasts a chance because I love background noise, but don't really want my baby staring at the TV and I'm kicking myself for not listening sooner. I love you both. I appreciate the relatability, thoughtfulness, and relaxed nature of minimalism your way. Genuinely. Thank you for you two getting me out of a funk. And this is from avocada, avocadita. (laughs) Avocadita. <laughs> yeah, so we so appreciate that, and I'm so glad that we could help in whatever way. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a good point that podcasts are a great way to keep your mommy mind busy while you're entertaining toddlers. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So do you want to start us with your minimalist moment of the week? Sure. My moment is courtesy of Christmas. <laughs> I Last season, at the end of last Christmas season... I decluttered a lot. I thought I had decluttered a lot of our Christmas decorations, but I hadn't. So I got rid of, oh, more than half of them. And this last week, I got out the Christmas decorations and wondered where the rest of the bins were. Like, Mm -hmm. I had forgotten how much I had decluttered. And literally, it took us 15 minutes to get out the three bins that we had left, plus the tree, and had it set up and ready to go. It was so not stressful. It was so awesome. I mean, I was really kind of, even though we have been decluttering for years and have been really trying to get all of our stuff in order, I did not expect it to be as easy as it was. And it was just a breath of fresh air and helped to start the season off right and not in a stressful mood. That's really awesome. I just reached inside my bin and grabbed my candle. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You had one candle. (laughs) But I actually, this year, I added a little gnome Santa to my mantle. Okay. You're adding. (laughs) I'm going all out. Now, do you have a tree? We will be getting a tree. Okay. Yeah. You did not have one last year, though. No, we've had one every year. We just go cut it down. But we do have ornaments and whatnot. But I am slowly getting on the decoration train to where I feel like I need to start intentionally buying more decorations. Mm -hmm. We'll see how that goes. All right. All right. So my minimalist resource of the week is another podcast. And this podcast actually doesn't have to do with minimalism really whatsoever, but I felt like the episode this week did. 
and it's Risen Motherhood. It is a Christian podcast. I will preface by saying that, but this episode is called Wishlist Ignored, Loving the Giver More Than the Gift. And I think no matter what religion, even if you're an atheist, there's a lot that you could take away and just how to give people grace when we feel that they are maybe infringing on the rules that we have set up for our families and how we want to do gift giving. And really the most loving thing to do is just to accept it uh, gracefully and then you can do it the gift with what you may. But they kind of just deep dive into that. And I know for me, it really hit home because I feel like I can be a Scrooge with some of my relatives and just have these, not list of demands, but I can just, I feel like I go overboard and it appears that I'm not grateful or thankful. And so I felt like this kind of helped get my heart in the right space before we have all these gifts coming into our home. So yeah, this is the Risen Motherhood podcast on iTunes. Great. Yeah. Well, hello, everyone, and we are excited today to have Joshua Becker with us, and it's just an honor to have you here. We've talked about you many times on the podcast, and now we actually have you on. It's so exciting. Well, I'm excited to be here to defend <laughs> myself. I don't, I don't, I don't know everything you've said, but I'm glad to finally Mostly be able things. to speak for All myself. All good things. All good. <laughs> it, it's good to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation, and um, I love talking about this stuff. So I look forward to talking about it with you guys. Great. So we've kind of introed you with a broad overview of your bio, but why don't you tell us about yourself and your work? I blog at a website, uh, becomingminimalist.com. Ten and a half years ago, I was introduced to minimalism by my neighbor, uh, of all people, Uh, not someone who was being a minimalist at all, but her daughter was, and so she was telling me about it um, and introducing me to the, the lifestyle. Yeah, 10 and a half years ago was a, a long time ago, um, and there were not a lot of people writing about minimalism, although when I searched online, I, I found some people using the word, but I don't know if there were any websites at the time entirely devoted to it. Uh, I started becoming minimalist mostly just to journal what was happening in my life, uh, what we were getting rid of and what we were keeping what rooms we were going through, what we were learning. Uh, I never meant it to be anything more than uh, just a place where I was writing and, and updating uh, extended family around the country. Um, it grew and grew, and so for the last uh, five and a half years, I've been uh, writing and speaking about minimalism full-time. I, uh, I live now just outside Phoenix, Arizona in Peoria, um, my wife, we've been married for 19 years. Uh, my son is 16 and my daughter is 12, uh, which means we started this journey when they were five and two. So I've seen most of the ages uh, all the way through the, through the process. Oh, that's great. And we'll want, we'll want to ask you about that a little later. Mm-hmm. So you've been, as you said, speaking on minimalism for about five, five and a half years and really writing about it for a decade now. So what made you decide that now is the time to do a step-by-step guide to decluttering the home? Writing about it for a decade, that makes me sound old. <laughs> That's uh, hearing it, hearing it. Um, so I wrote a book uh, two and a half years ago called The More of Less, um, which is great. I, I love the book. Um, it is 
a introduction to minimalism, and I wrote it for the purpose of introducing the world to minimalism and why people are owning less on purpose. Um, and it's uh, very much in line with with what I what I blog about and um, what I what I think I do best and tend to do most naturally. Um, when the book came out, um, I. I actually had a, a different book that I was thinking about writing uh, about money, um, but my publisher came to me and and said, "Hey, I, we really loved the more of less, but we think you need to help people actually live out what you were promoting in the more of less. The more of less makes a great case for minimalism, but it doesn't offer." like very practical steps for people uh, to go through their homes. Um, and, uh, and I said, I, I think you are right. Uh, I, get, I get a lot of questions and um, any article that I write about, you know, how to specifically tackle a project or a space or a room uh, t- tend to be the ones that, that do the best because people, people want to own less, but it's, it's difficult. Um, it's hard. There's, there's a small percentage of people that, that can rent a dumpster and throw out everything all weekend or uh, can hear the word minimalism and em- embrace it completely. But that, those tend to be pretty impulsive personalities, <laughs> uh, you know, people who tend to jump all the way in. Um, there are other people that you know, want to want to approach this a little bit more methodically and and strategic, uh, especially when when you have a family um, and when you're trying to navigate those aspects of it as well. So, um, hence the minimalist home. Uh, I started an online course three years ago that um, 25,000 different people have used to uh, declutter their home, and um, so many of the the principles I talk about in that course and some of the lessons that I've learned, the questions that keep coming up, the obstacles and hurdles that keep popping up, some of the stories I've heard from the course um, have become this book. And uh, it's it's everything I think the subtitle says, a room-by-room guide to a decluttered, refocused life. It covers 18 specific spaces in the home, and um, people are really enjoying it who've um, seen the seen the early copies of it, so I'm proud of it. Oh, that's great. And this is this is Megan speaking, by the way. And I did, I was one of those thousands of people that took your Uncluttered course. And it was so inspirational. Even if you didn't, you know, follow the tips or read all the material, just being in the kind of Facebook group that went along with it and seeing all the photos of people's decluttered spaces was so neat. It was so neat to experience that with a large group of people. It's uh, I, I I made the course because I wanted I wanted to offer something um, for people who they've read the books but they need something more. Um, I would say the the course offers everything that a book can't offer. So accountability and community, mm-hmm. opportunity to ask questions. Um, those are some of the things that went into the into the course and um, and the course even like it is the it's the community, it's the accountability, it's the weekly challenges that tend to be very helpful. Um, but even in the course, I don't get into the detail of spaces that I do in the minimalist home. It, you know, the minimalist home is, you know, start with these objects and tackle, you know, this shelf 
these shelves next and like move move specifically step by step through a through a room through a space um and even even in the uncluttered course i I don't get into that much detail um so there's there's a difference between the two but they they definitely the minimalist home couldn't have been written if it hadn't been for what i learned doing that course for so many years oh that's great well, why don't we dig into a little bit of the material in the book? We thought maybe we'd just give you give you a room and you could give us like one big tip or one big pitfall that is specific to that room that you saw over and over, if you don't mind us putting you on the spot like that. Okay. One tip per room. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. How about your living room slash family room? decorations i would i would look for decorations that can be removed what i find happens in so many places is we put up so many decorations that the ones that have real meaning to us um tend to be overshadowed and distracted and so when we minimized our living room family room we got rid of uh just a lot of figurines and decorations that weren't there and what was left every single piece represents something uh, important to us and usually there's a story behind everything that we have remaining awesome all right next one is bedrooms bedrooms remove everything that does not serve the purpose of the room it's actually a, a pretty major theme in the book our lives have purposes, our homes have purposes, and each room should have a purpose as well. And the bedroom is the perfect example. Uh, your bedroom is there for rest and for intimacy. And uh, anything that has collected in your bedroom that doesn't serve those two purposes uh, tends to just distract from them. Mm, absolutely. We've been going through a series here on the Minimalist Moms podcast of going room by room. So it's kind of perfect perfect that your book comes out at the time that it's coming out because we're just wrapping up the series. So we've gone around and the space that we found that was most convoluted in what the purpose was ended up being really the master bedroom because in family situations, sometimes you have the baby sleeping in there and it's not your rest and your retreat. Sometimes you have you know, you have kids sleeping in there for a longer period of time than you would like, or it becomes the storage room for everything else because it's the only parents only room. And you don't want, you know, you have your breakables or whatever that's in there. And yeah, the, for some reason that we found that space was the most, the, the space where we wanted it to be a retreat the most often, but it ended up being more stressful. We'd wake up in the morning and we'd be surrounded with things that, you know, did not start our day out well. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting there. Um, some of those things are in your control. So, you know, we can uh, control the things that we, we can control. Uh, other things I was just hearing seasons of life, mm-hmm. you know, like if, if the baby's sleeping in there and that's, that's how you need it or, or want it to be, that's still just a, a short season of life where, where maybe the purpose of the room has dual purpose um, for a period of time. So actually, seasons of life is a pretty big conversation in the book and um, something I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of uh, talking about and uh, helping people think through. Mm-hmm. Very good. 
Go ahead. All right. Next room um, would be clothing closets and mudroom. Uh, clothing closets. I will say, uh, here's my tip. Here's my thought. You will love owning fewer clothes far more than you think you will. I find whenever I challenge people to experiment with fewer clothing items in their closet, whether it's getting rid of half of their clothes or going down to 33 articles of clothing for a few weeks, I find that very few people hate it. Most people um, most people think this feels really good to have a closet that everything I see in there I like to wear. It's decluttered. It's not crammed. It's easier to get ready in the morning. I'm, you know, don't feel like I'm chasing fashions all the time. So I, uh, I, I think most people genuinely enjoy owning fewer clothes far more than they think they will. I think Megan and I can both attest to that because she's really into the capsule wardrobe and you've done Courtney Carver's challenge before. Yes, yeah. and we've had Courtney Carver on. She is amazing. You mentioned her in your book. So just side question then, what does your wardrobe look like or how many, if you even have like a number that you stick to? Yep, I, so I don't remember the number what I started. I, I usually think maybe, I don't know, 100 plus items in my closet and drawers. And the first time I minimized, I, I cut it in half. Um, and it wasn't all that difficult. Went down to maybe 60 items or so. And then, uh, yes, Courtney Carver had just started her Project 333, where the experiment is uh, 33 articles of clothing for three months. Um, and it doesn't count underwear, and it doesn't count uh, exercise wear, but it counts everything else. And as she would say, it's it's not forever. It's, it's just an experiment. Like, just try it out for three months. See what you learn. You literally have nothing to lose by trying it out. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw it, and I'm like, I'm in. Uh, I'm going to give it a shot, even though I had no idea how I would be able to accomplish it. But, uh, yeah, just took a closer look at my closet and thought a little bit more strategically about what I actually liked wearing, which things I wore most often out of the 60, and cut it down to 33 and loved it. And so I'm, I'm usually in that range, somewhere between 33 to 40. A shirt wears out and you get a new one and you don't get rid of the old one right away. But uh, about four pairs of pants. I, I tend to wear V-neck t-shirts uh, most days, uh, some long sleeve shirts, a couple pairs of different shoes. I tell the story in the book of Alice Gregory, who really kind of changed my thinking on um, on clothing and the whole capsule wardrobe uniform look. And um, she said it was very iconic to have a style that you are known for and, and tend to stick to. And I thought, yes, that's that's the right word. It's not boring. It's iconic. People know what you're going to look like. And when I uh, when I moved, so I moved to Arizona seven years ago. So I've been wearing the same style of clothes for a couple of years when, when I moved kind of that V-neck t-shirt and khaki pants. My last day where I was working up there, everyone mm-hmm. wore that outfit. They wore a V-neck t-shirt and, and khaki pants. And I'm like, there you go. I'm kind of kind of known for, for wearing something. I, I like that. Oh, that's awesome. I love that, that concept of being an icon. Mm-hmm. Um, what's our next space? Let's Bathrooms. see. Bathrooms and laundry room. Clear surfaces. That applies to most rooms, bedrooms, clearing off 
in the dresser surface and kitchen, clearing off counters. But the the bathroom, I think, is the one where you um, experience the benefits a little bit more of of having a clear surface. It's usually a little bit smaller space and knocking tubes over and toothbrushes and hand soap dispensers. Just um, having having a clear space as possible tends to make getting ready in the morning that much more enjoyable. And for the kitchen? I think the kitchen tends to be a pretty good example of a space where we collect more tools than we need. Um, so I can remember minimizing my kitchen and there was like a, a egg yolk separator, which we had used once because something we were baking had called for it. So we went out and got it. Um, and I remember looking at it, thinking to myself, I, I bet a spoon can probably do this exact same thing. And so uh, Mark Bittman wrote an article in the New York Times called A No Frills Kitchen Still Cooks. And I included it in the book because it was very helpful to me in the process where he he just has a pretty short list of all the staple items that you need in a kitchen in order to cook any dish um, that you want. Since then, I've, I've learned that that it works just fine, that uh, a lot of these single-use items that we collect tend to get in the way more than anything else. But the kitchen tends to be a pretty good example where we we collect far more tools than we need. And they they end up making the process less fun. You know, I I much prefer having clear spaces and drawers with things that are easy to access. It makes um, cooking more enjoyable to me than fumbling through uh, drawers to find the things that I need or want. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Any tips or pitfalls for the dining room? Um, the dining room is an, another room where I, I, I talk about purposes. You know, what is the what is the point of your, your dining room? And there have been plenty of dining rooms that I have tried to enjoy a meal in, but they were so full of furniture and china hutches and that it was hard to maneuver and move around in there much less enjoy space and and enjoy a meal so again just looking at your dining room with with a new eye do the things in here really uh, really contribute to using this space uh, effectively and enjoying family and enjoying company uh, around a meal or are there some things in here that are, are just getting in the way of us using this room to accomplish that hmm Absolutely. Doing that shimmy around the person <laughs> that's next to you to try to get out from around the table. I totally get that. Which which might be which may be okay if if it's a result of having so many people over that you're crowded around the table. Um, like that's that's a good feeling because you're using the space in the room for what it is. But when it's when it's furniture and you got to get your way mm-hmm. through the, you know, through the furniture, there's just tends to be a little different, a um, little different feeling to it. Right, right. All right, let's move on to home office. Oh, well, home office is a is a tough one. I should probably mention at this point that um, that the book takes people easiest to hardest through their homes that I would never tell someone to start in the home office or start in the storage or the garage, but to start easy and work your, uh, work your way up to some of those spaces. Uh, the home office, you, you need to keep far less paper than, than you think you need to keep. I, uh, I list at least for the, for what some of the U.S. regulations are, um, some of the guidelines are for what paper we need to keep um, and what we can get rid of. Um, even the paper that we do keep, we can um, scan in and, and store digitally uh, rather than rather than in paper. Yes, we can get swallowed in paper. 
just from my experience with kids coming home with stuff in the backpack, you could get swallowed in papers. I was uh, at the library yesterday, and a man wanted to hand me a flyer for a holiday event. And I was like, can I just take a picture of it? And he gave me a strange look. But now it's digital on my phone, and I don't forget the date. So There we go. Yeah, it's good to go. Okay, next space is storage or hobby room. Um, storage spaces start with the large items that you can remove because they they tend to take uh, a lot of time and effort to work through basements and attics and garages Um, but i think when we start by finding large items that we can take out of the space first uh, it opens up space. We feel like we're getting things done because the room starts to feel differently. Um, and so I encourage people to uh, to start looking at those things first before you get into, you know, ripping open the cardboard boxes from high school and all the memories and emotions are going to come flooding while you, uh, while you go through that. Yeah, absolutely. We went through a process. We renovated our basement. And so we went through the whole, th- we had to clear the entire thing out to, to do that and, we're still, we tried not to put anything back down there that we didn't want to live there, but there are still some projects that we went through a lot and got rid of a lot, but I, I feel like that's where we've, it, it's taken the longest time and we're still going through, you know, the archives of of photos and boxes of, like you said, memorabilia from high school and things that you want to save but you're not, or just have so much emotional attachment to them that you don't feel right getting rid of them, but you're not quite sure what to do with them. And it's just hard decisions all around, all around. Indeed. Indeed. I, um, I, I, I believe to be true what, what I always say that, that less is better. Um, even there that you don't have to, you know, less is different than none. You don't have to get rid of all your sentimental objects and emotional attachments but mm-hmm. usually i i think uh when you just hold on to a few things that that really represent that that time of your life it tends to tends to honor it a little bit more than holding on to boxes and boxes of stuff that you're just going to dread having to go through at some point in your life mm-hmm. well what said. is that quote it's if everything's your favorite thing then nothing's your favorite thing yeah that's a good like yeah that. that's good yeah, yeah. that's true Last space, garage and yard. Garage and yard. Uh, you will love having a decluttered garage, and your neighbors will love if you declutter your yard. Uh, if you're the if you're the neighbor that's uh, leaving a lot of stuff out in your yard, um, your neighbors will appreciate you taking the time to uh, to clean it up and and get rid of most of it. Um, the garage is. Usually, the first impression that you have um, when you get home, you you pull into the garage, and if your garage is full, packed full of things, or you can't even park your car in your garage, it is, it's like the visual reminder when you when you get home that I have too much stuff and I need to go through it, um, and to have that be the the first impression every time you. You come home. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. Probably not the right mood you want to be in when you're walking home to uh, to be present with your family, um, to be reminded of a lot of undone work and projects. So, as far as tips, uh, same thing in the garage that I mentioned. In the storage room. Look for big items that you can remove quickly, um, and start to see some of that space clear up, and that will motivate you to to tackle some of the smaller spaces as well. Always one one project at a time, though, right? One bird by bird. Um, Corner by corner, shelf by shelf is how we how we get through it. I'm curious as to why garage and yard were 
on the at the end of your list as far as things from from easiest to hardest because as you said uh, you are coming home to it every day and and the things in the garage maybe some people use them as storage spaces so there might be those emotional things or things that are hard to get rid of but for the most part I feel like things in the garage are utilitarian or tools and things that aren't necessarily um maybe difficult to go through. And then if you do that earlier on, maybe it's it kind of rejuvenates you. You feel better. You look better to the outside world. I don't know. What's your thought on that? Why did we put it down at the bottom of the list? Well, two, probably three reasons. Number one, that, that was the order that I did the home. Uh, we did the, we did the garage. So probably the least important of the three reasons. The second reason was we, we worked inside to outside. So there's kind of a, just a natural physical progression of of um, you know doing the the most lived in spaces and then hitting some of the other rooms in your home and then ultimately kind of moving your way out from the garage into the into the yard and the uh, the third reason is in my case and in a lot of other people's cases the garage becomes the place where a lot of minimized items end up right it's they're not they're no longer in my living room or they're no longer in my basement, but I've just moved them out into the garage to deal with them one, one final time. Um, I think that happens for a lot of people. And so um, didn't seem to make much sense to do the garage earlier and then go do your basement where you're just going to move a whole bunch more things out into your garage that, that need to be dealt with. Okay. That makes sense. That mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. All right. So if you want to dive deeper into some of these things that we just talked about, obviously pick up Joshua's book because he has some great advice in there. But I did want to ask you, one of the most asked questions that we get is how do we keep toys under control? So we are a mommy podcast and we wanted to ask you about that. What? People ask about that? (laughs) I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Oh, oh, heavens. Oh, so... Yeah, I speak to a lot of moms groups, um, and the first question usually is either "What do I do with my husband's stuff?" or "What do I what do I do with my kids' stuff?" Look, the the first answer is always you you can't start with your kids' stuff. Uh, it is it is entirely unfair for you to read a book about minimalism or to listen to a, a podcast about minimalism and go home and make your kids get rid of all their things. Uh, you've, uh, you've got to do your own stuff. You've got to do your own work, set the example for them, even experience some of the emotions that, that come with getting rid of stuff. So you can, you can help them navigate them, allow them to ask questions. I'm a big fan of over explaining to children. And so explain to them why you're getting rid of stuff. And then when you eventually do get to their rooms and their toys in, in adult ways, um, you know, explain, Hey, you know, we have limited amount of money and limited amount of time. And we've just decided that we're going to family's going to focus more on these things rather than owning a lot of stuff and, and, uh, and having a lot of stuff around. And we think that owning less allows us to do um, more of that. And then in the very practical way, when it comes to kids, boundaries, physical boundaries, looking for them and implementing them in almost all areas, toys, clothes, collections, arts and crafts items, like almost always uh, sporting equipment, like almost always you can set a, a physical space 
um, that's what we did with my with my son. He had like a whole toy room full of toys when we started this, and we said, okay, you can keep as many toys as you want that fit against this wall, and you get to decide which toys you're going to keep, um, but they just have to fit in this in this space. And eventually, we moved into a smaller house, and so my daughter it became the closet. You can have as many toys as you want that fit in the closet, or arts and crafts that fit in this plastic bin. Uh, collections that fit in this drawer. And I think that really empowers kids to make those decisions, which which is helpful. I mean, all of it's it's a helpful skill, right? I mean, all of life is deciding what to fit into our limited space and time uh, and what's really important. So learning that early is good for kids. And I think it's good for kids to hear no um, as well. So it wasn't, it's, it's not a hard thing for me. It's not a hard thing for me to tell my kids no, because I think it's, I think it's good for them to hear. And I don't know, kids who get everything they want don't usually turn out to be the most thoughtful in setting boundaries when they get older. Mm, It's a very judicious way to say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's very kind. (laughs) So the holidays are among us. Any advice for gift-giving and family members in the way that you, generally meaning the mom or the dad, generally makes the gift list or the request of um, grandparents and other relatives for what you can get the kids for Christmas? And in our experience, they just, they love them so much, and it is such a blessing to have so many relatives that love your children, but they tend to express that love by giving many, many gifts. So any advice on how to handle that? Yeah, that's true. That's a good way to put it. First, control what you can control. So if if you're worried about uh, a lot of gift clutter coming into your home from grandparents and relatives and cousins and extended family, then, I mean, you could still control what you give to your kids. um, And uh, either you know limiting the number or just getting a few really nice gifts rather than a, a lot of little ones, especially if they're going to be getting gifts all holiday season long. I think it becomes a little bit easier to 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 set new expectations and new traditions within your immediate family. Uh, when it comes to extended family, I like yes, I agreed with what you said. Like it is a blessing to have extended family want to express love, and I, I've never wanted to take away that opportunity from them. So I'm not a give my kids no gifts type of parent because they want to show love and I, uh, but I can, I can steer them, right? I can, I can steer them into, into different kinds of gifts, needs over wants. So kids are growing and changing and need new size shoes and coats and clothes. And that doesn't mean they have to get them brown socks or something, but my son usually gets like a, like my son usually gets like a Tom Brady football Jersey, you know, like he needs clothes. Um, but this is something special that, you know, we wouldn't normally get for him otherwise. So needs over wants, um, quality over quantity, again, experiences over possessions, consumables over clutter. Those are some of the things that we can ask for from relatives, extended family. Usually a gift list is very helpful in these ways. Like here's some things my kids are getting into and are really enjoying uh, here's some experiences they would like to have. Um, you can help us out by giving those gifts. Two things, two thoughts to add to this. Number one, they 
grandparents usually don't care the first time you you ask for uh, for new idea for with like a new gift list like you know a little patience and and grace is is helpful and kind and maybe they won't catch it the first year or the second year but you know the third or fourth year of saying no no I'm serious this is these are the kind of things that we uh, we would like for our kids they uh, they start to catch on a little bit more and the other thing is this I. So we started becoming minimalist in May, and then we had a Christmas coming up in December. And so we had spent six months of getting rid of things, and I was really worried about the upcoming holiday season and wasn't going to set me back, all the work that I had done. And what I found was because I had minimized um, and had removed a lot of kids' stuff and other things from our home, just clutter from our house, Christmas didn't feel as burdensome. When you add clutter on top of already cluttered spaces, then it becomes really overwhelming and we don't even know how to begin getting rid of it. But when we have all the kids, the toys down to you know a manageable all against that wall over there, then new toys come in at Christmas and you're like, okay, there's like there was some room to add some new things into this room anyway and let's test it out for three or four months and see which toys get used and which ones don't and and um, and remove some of the, the unused ones a little bit later on down the road. That's all really great advice. I, I feel like I'm, I need to use a little bit of this because I can be a Scrooge around the holidays. And so I think I need to start giving my in-laws a little bit more grace. And I like the idea of if things are coming into the home, maybe getting rid of a few things. Like if four gifts come into the home, let's get rid of four gifts. But I don't know if that's too regimented as well. What would you say about that? I think if it works for you, then then I think people should do it. I, it's never worked for me. Like I've never been a one in, one out guy just because I don't I don't know if I'm not disciplined enough to do it. I, I tend to be more like when you ask how many articles of clothing I had and I'm like, I don't know, somewhere between 33 and 40 because I just, I'll bring something in and I don't feel like I have to take something else out. But eventually it feels like, gosh, it just feels like there's more clothes in here than need to be. Let's go back through it and let's get rid of some of the things that don't need to be around. And so we do the same with like toys um, for the kids. You know, you get it to a nice manageable space and a birthday happens or a holiday happens and I'm not like, now I have to get rid of that many toys, but a few months down the road and a few more things enter into the home and like, I think it's time to go back through this again and, and make sure everything's fitting in the spaces that we, um, that we decided would, would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I feel like it, it also kind of goes with the literal seasons. You were talking about seasons of life, but it also kind of goes with the literal seasons. And in, in January, we feel like that new, fresh, like, let's get the year started mm-hmm. right season. And we want to clean things out and, and you know, move past the holidays and, and help our, our houses to feel fresh and new. And then I feel like also when after the summer and the school year starting, we're like, oh, new beginnings. Let's, you know, get this place ready for for a new schedule and schools to start and all of that. So there's, there's definitely kind of maybe moving with that momentum to mm-hmm. maybe think of it that way. Great. Well, um, you, Joshua, I don't think we've told you this before. You're like our first dad, minimalist dad on the podcast. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. I feel extra honored now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
So we were wondering if you have any thoughts on being the first person to bring kind of minimalism to your family or advice for moms to maybe get dads on the minimalist train? Mm, yes. Good question. I I will answer this specifically, but it'll also be in a general way. I, I think whenever we're trying to get a spouse, a partner on board with minimalism um, and owning less, I think it's always important to frame the conversation in a way that they would resonate with. So the reason you became a minimalist, uh, the reason you want to own less, the felt needs that you're experiencing might be different than what would convince your spouse or partner to embrace minimalism. And that could be something not to be too overly generalistic, but if I was at this moment in time, if 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 the woman in the home is doing a lot of the taking care of the home and whether they work or not, just a lot of that load is falling on their shoulders, then yes, I want to own less stuff so that taking care of the home and taking care of the family is easier for me to do. I can see why this is zapping so much of my time. If if the husband doesn't do a lot of that around the house, then you're going to have a hard time convincing him that that's the reason you need to own less stuff. Um, so, um, so it might be, you know, you're always worried about money and providing for the family. I'm trying to make these changes of owning less and be and becoming minimalist so that we can overcome some of that stress in our lives. Um, so that we can do more things as a family. We can travel more as a family. You can. Um, there's less stress at home, so you can focus more on the work that you're doing um, outside the home. Like some of these reasons, again, in an overly generalistic way, of course, might uh, might resonate with with the other spouse or partner in in the in the relationship, depending on what your specific home looks like, what what their passions are, what their hobbies are, what's what's important to them. Great. How'd I do? How'd I do? Did I walk that line? Yes, okay? you did I very wa- okay. well. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's beyond, like, it's not just moms and dads. Like, I'll be, I'm speaking to a group of high school students um, this coming summer, like several thousand of them. And I know that I can't have the same conversation with them that I have with parents, right? Where parents is like, let's own less so we can focus more on our kids and spend less time cleaning and shopping and uh, managing and maintaining things. And like a high school student doesn't feel that burden. And so how do you how do you convince them of the benefits of owning less and what it might mean for their life is a different conversation than uh, than trying to convince a parent or someone who's who's managing a, a house or a household. Mm-hmm. Very true. Very true. Great. Well, I mean, we cannot thank you enough for being here. Um, as we wrap up, we were wondering if you Tell our listeners if they want to learn more, where they can get your book, uh, where they can find you online. Sure. Uh, becomingminimalist.com is home base for anything and everything I do. And you can find links to social media and everything right there. The, uh, the book is called The Minimalist Home, Room by Room Guide to a Decluttered, Refocused Life. It comes out on uh, Tuesday, December 18th and uh, available for pre-order everywhere, but will certainly be available in bookstores and online 
on that day and during that week. So thanks so much. And it's, uh, makes a great Christmas gift. Do I get to say that? Makes a great Christmas yeah. gift. No, you, you can. I think because I think it's great timing because, like we said, in January, everybody's wanting to start those New Year's resolutions, mm -hmm. clear their spaces out, start fresh and new. And this book may be a way to get them there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you guys do. You guys do great work. Thanks so much for spreading this message and helping helping moms, helping families out. Um, good for you. I um, I appreciate the invitation and um, getting to be here on getting to be on the show with you guys. Thank awesome. you so much. Great. Thank you. Before we finish out this episode, this is Megan talking. I wanted to make a little announcement. I have over the course of the last two years gone from stay-at-home mommy life to working mommy life and now working full-time mommy life and. I have reached the point where I just need to take a little break and I hope you all understand. So I'm not sure for how long it will be, but I'm going to take a little hiatus and I'm going to leave this podcast in the very capable hands of Diane. She will be posting here and there. It may not be as regular though as you're used to. So we wanted to let you know that and you can, in the meantime, I will still be active you can find me on Instagram at Megan Erickson. That's M-E-G-A-N-E-R-I-C-S-O-N. And I will be listening in, as you guys will be, to what Diane has for us. And I'm really sad to see you step away for this period of time, but I know how much it's needed in this busy time and season of your life. But as we've talked about, you're going to join in when you can and... You'll be refreshed and rejuvenated after this little break. So we will miss you, and I hope that I can live up to what we've created together here in the next few months. Oh, you will. You're very, as I said, you're very capable hands. Well, we invite you, as always, to keep this conversation going by visiting our website at minimalistmomspodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Minimalist Moms Podcast. And you can text the word minimalist to 444-999 to get an email every time we post a new episode. Thank you for joining us on this journey. We wish you 